I don't buy the idea that, you know, the society the way it is right now, it has to be this way. Welcome to Rewrite the Rules with your host, Alex Starr. So many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. It's time to live life on your own terms. What do you really want? Welcome, everybody, to a fresh episode of Rewrite the Rules. I am Alex Starr. And before I get into my guest, uh, oh, that sounded dirty. Before I introduce my guest, the lovely Sophie Kwok, um, I wanted to go back to my very first episode I posted on this podcast with my buddy Kyle. And Kyle, in a nutshell, he inspired me to start this podcast. His story did because he was an accounting major. He went to grad school for it. It's what his parents wanted him to do. And he started doing it. He fucking hated it. And he always knew he wanted to do firefighting. And he eventually made that crucial decision to get out of accounting, uh, start doing the classes, the lessons. And now he's literally loving his fucking life out in Colorado right now, uh, fighting forest fires and doing that as his career. And so there's so many things in our life like this. And the reason I started the podcast is because a lot of us get put in these boxes and we all know it. You get put in a box by society. You get put in a box by your parents, by church, by whoever, by marketing, right? Marketing will put you in these boxes. It'll tell you the way you should be living or the way you shouldn't be living. And it makes all of us very confused. And we follow this script and it makes us unsatisfied with our lives. It makes us unsatisfied as people and it makes an unsatisfied world. Um, and the reason I started Rewrite the Rules was to help people live on their own terms, right? To show to show what's possible, to show what's possible for your life, to show what's possible for the world, right? And to even just expand that a notch up. Um, I think exposure is such a massive uh, conduit towards living that life you want to live. It's through exposure and it's through action. Um, and so I'm really excited because I recently started working with clients um, to help them get to that point that they figure out that life they want to live and actually take the action towards it so they can live on their own terms. Um, so if you know anybody or if this is you um, that really is looking to maybe get unstuck um, or take action towards living on their own terms or needs to figure out exactly where they want to go, um, shoot me a DM, shoot me a message. Like I said, I just started working uh, with some clients um, with the Rewrite the Rules program. It's going unbelievably well. Um, they're having a lot of success. So shoot me a DM uh, on Instagram. It's Alex H. Star, uh, or you can email me at alex at alexstar.com. Um, and we can connect and see if it's something that, uh, you know, I can help you out with, um, get into where you're at and where you want to go. Um, and so shoot it, shoot me a DM, like I said, or an email. Um, and yeah, thank you so much everybody for your support along the way, um, with this podcast and with everything, it means the absolute world to me. My guest today is the lovely Sophie Kwok, who is the founder of Love Intently. She's also the host of Love Intently with Sophie Kwok podcast uh, that's available on iTunes, Spotify, the whole nine yards. And her mission is to empower millions of relationships to thrive, starting romantically. Um, and she is the one of the most positive people I've ever met, maybe the most positive and full of energy. Like when you meet her, it's like getting just a amazing wash over you of energy and you realize how dull you usually are 
compared to somebody like Sophie. Um, and I met her about a year and a half ago, two years ago here in Austin. Um, and we immediately hit it off. And so I'm so glad she was able to come on the podcast, share a bit of her story, building business, um, and really focusing in on relationships and how important they are to our lives, uh, to live them fully. And instead of focusing on our careers and our jobs and things like that, um, if you really put a lot of effort into your relationships, then, you know, you will be magnificently rewarded. So very excited about having her on and make sure and check out her podcast, check out loveintently.com. Um, they're about to launch a bunch of new things. Um, and their mission is just very, very, uh, inspirational. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, I'm checking off to the Philippines for the next two weeks and then Hawaii. Um, so I'll be posting a bunch of stuff on my Instagram, Alex H star, uh, doing some stories as I go through that part of the world, especially the Philippines that I've never been before. And I might have the balls to try balut, which is the food they have over there that is a halfway fertilized egg, to my understanding, that they boil. Um, and you're supposed to wash it down with very strong beer called Red Horse. I think it's what it's called. So um, if I have the balls to do that, I will be posting that um, on the Instagram, and if anybody has any other tips or advice uh, for the Philippines, then would love to hear it. So much love, everybody. Uh, catch you on the next one. What's up, Sophie? What's up, Alex? Should we start it right now? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Okay, let's do it. I don't know if I've ever done one this public of a place. This is public? I mean, it's pretty public. Yeah, that's true. Where else do you go? Little, but you were going to do it. Right behind us. <laughs> you were going to do it at Cosmic, <laughs> which is way crazier. Yeah, that's true. And but, haven't you done it at like Mozart's and like Barton? I feel like those are way busier places. Yeah, but Barton is kind of like you get your own co- you get your own picnic table and you're 100 feet away from anybody. You know, you're really, it's pretty private, actually, because you just had a picnic table I guess. by yourself. Yeah, I guess that's pretty true. But you know that's I mean? not true of um, of Mozart's. I don't know what I'm doing with my hands. Um, What did we come on here to talk about today? Relationships and shit? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. You <laughs> asked me to be on here. <laughs> no, I know. Um, Because you have your business, Love Intently. Which is not to help people find love, it's to help people keep it. Precisely. That should be your tagline. I say that. What is the tagline? We say we empower stronger relationships. That's like the short and short, but and to empower the little things. Um, but I do say that a lot. Like we don't help you find love. There are like hundreds of apps that help you find love, but we empower you to stay in them. In relationships. Why did you have a calling to help people foster stronger relationships? <clears throat> so this goes back to oh, we're doing we're doing throwback. We're doing a throwback. Okay. Yeah. Sip, let me sip my cacao, chocolate, cinnamon, iced coffee. <laughs> Please do my six dollar iced coffee. <laughs> um, yeah, that is the downfall of this place. It is kind of pricey. But it is delicious though. Um, okay. So yeah, I really believe that our greatest fruits come from the redemption of the greatest pains in our life. And growing up, I just like really struggled with my relationship with my parents. And I believed a lot of lies about love and myself. And like, I lies. 
going to cut you off so early in the story, but no, I'll forget if I don't ask. You're good. I think, so as I've like really done a lot of personal development stuff the last six months, I think a core lie is that one, I really believed for like the first 18 years of my life that I was like a burden and an accident and a mistake because my parents had me out of wedlock. Um, and I, they also came from a super conservative, like Baptist Christian community. And so I think there was a lot of shame around my, or around my mom's pregnancy. Um, and I definitely felt that like growing up. Um, and that really just, it's not like people were saying these things to me, but that's just like how I interpreted it. Even when you were a young kid, you felt Oh, yeah. The shame around your existence, basically? A hundred percent. Wow. But I was also... Do you think that that stuff gets transmitted through the emotions of the mother to the fetus? Do you think that that happens? I really do. There's a lot of science um, or scientific research that's that states that... Because that's not... Uh, no, eugenics is like racist stuff. What's the... Um, <laughs> I just get it mixed up with something else. That's probably not good. There's that new science you're talking about that comes out that like you actually affect your genetics as you live. Like, you know, they used to think, I think it's epigenetics. Have you heard of that? I don't, I don't think it, I've heard of that. So it's kind of what we're talking about. It's where, you know, when you were growing up in biology class or science class and basically they said that your genetics were set in stone, right? So if you were, you know, you have your genetics and at 30 years old, you start to eat a lot of crappy food and you don't work out and you get really fat and then you have a kid, those genetics that you have are still going to be, those like skinny genetics are still going to be passed on to your kid, right? Because you just took actions and like your environment and you became fat, but it doesn't change your core genetics. That's what we all, all thought, right? Epigenetics is a fledgling science that says, no, actually the things you do in your life do affect like your template. Mm. I mean, actually it does kind of sketch in mm. new information that mm-hmm. can affect what you, um, what you give to your children. Absolutely. So like that kind of stuff, like if you do have emotional trauma or you do have terrible lifestyle choices mm-hmm. that can actually be etched into your genetics and then given to your kids. Absolutely. So the actions that you have now, like literally can affect future generations oh. through their, Completely. I had, I was reflecting on this last night and I was thinking about it. I was like, man, you know, like we, the people that are alive on this earth, like we have an option, a choice, an opportunity to change the legacy of our families. Cause my family, like we have a history of, we've just gone through a lot, like a lot of trauma. There's probably way more than I even know about. Like there's, I know little glimpses because my family just doesn't really spend a lot of time talking about their past, which Mm -hmm. is totally understandable and fine. But the things I do know, I'm like, I can't even imagine. Um, And so we, I am so, don't get me wrong. Like I am so proud of who everyone in my family has become and the things that we've overcome. And in a lot of ways, I felt a lot of guilt for the opportunities I've had, I think up until this year, even, um, And I've had a really hard time learning how to receive the things that people, my parents included, want to give me. But I had this moment last night where I was like, you know what? Like, this is what they've worked so hard for. Like, how could I not just, like, take their gifts and, like, run with it and do what I was created to do with it? Um, And that I have an opportunity to take the trauma that I've been through, the trauma my parents have gone through, and change that for my kids and the future generations. And I think a lot of it is super generational. Um, 
things get passed down. And I don't think like we ever want to, we don't, we're not, we don't come out of the wound wanting to hurt people. I think it's something that we do out of protection of ourselves through life, through the things that life throws us. We get really afraid and like, we just do a lot of stupid things out of fear, I think. Um, yeah, fear is a big part of it, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Like, I think. Actually, it, I think fear is everything. I think there's two big motors that you can kind of live by it's either love or fear. And love cannot exist with fear and vice versa. And so that's something that I constantly ask myself or try to is am I acting out of love right now or am I acting out of fear? Um, When's the last time you acted out of fear? Oh my gosh. I'm like <laughs> every day. No. I know, huh? Um, that's a really good question. Last time I acted out of fear. I'm kind of blanking right now. I'm sure there's so many little things that I'll do. Um, Anything this morning? Anything yesterday? Mm, um, I'm sure there's like little things where it's like, oh, I should say this to this person or, you know, like little moments like that. I'm sure there's there have been plenty in between. I can't think of an, a very tangible specific one in recently, but, um, I mean, for, for just for instance, for me, I would say that a lot of times, well, we were talking about the hug challenge that I was doing, right? <laughs> we were talking about this before, but it's, um, I got challenged for people listening. I got challenged through this course I'm doing to hug five strangers. Yeah. And I was giving him a lot of crap for being afraid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's a perfect example. And, um, I mean, it's a weird question because you, yeah, it's a weird, like, is it love or is it fear? And it's like, yeah, I'm, I was scared to go up to five random strangers for sure. Um, and do that, you know, and those kind of things happen all the time. You don't say hello to that person mm-hmm. in the elevator that you think is cute or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot um, of that. You know, you think twice about going to a party with new people. You know, that happens to me all the time still. Like yeah. I second guess going places. Yeah. If it's I a do bunch that of new too. people, I think, man, it's, it's yeah. always easier to not go. Mm-hmm. And you're just scared of, oh, what if. No, what if nobody there likes me or like. It's, those st- it's, they're, it's so dumb. Are I you introverted never- or extroverted? I'm extroverted. Yeah. But I mean, everyone's a mixture, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I... That question is always kind of weird because it's not black and white. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, I think for some people, um, they... Like, some people are like 99% extrovert, and so they're different. <laughs> but I think for the lot of us, we're kind of somewhere on the spectrum. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, I think it's probably a lot more around people. And I, I honestly can't remember specifics because I've been so cognizant on... Setting my eyes more on who I want to become, less on what I don't want to be. That's kind of a tactic that I've picked up the last several months is realizing. So I went through this really intense workshop, I don't know, like early June, so about a month ago. And that was one thing they really harped on was um, it's basically like a really intense four day, like group therapy type of thing. And you just play mind games with each other. Like, I don't really even know how to fully explain it. And it'll sound crazy if I even try to, but what you see is people will 
the facilitators will get people to kind of work back on. So they, they basically throw you in these social experiments and make everyone's true colors come out very quickly on like how you show up day to day. And then they'll like nitpick on each little thing and to make you track back on why you are that mm. way and like why you've built up that defense or whatever it is. And one thing they've recognized is like, Oh yeah, I probably do this because my parents did this and I worked really hard not to do that. And then they recognize that it comes out in a different way. Um, and so their whole thing was like, it's far more effective to set your eyes on the vision of who you want to become than what you don't want to be. Because mm-hmm. if you do that, like it'll come out in different ways. Cause if you have your eyes set on what you don't want to be. Um, and so that's kind of a tactic that I've kind of realized. And I was talking to, she's kind of like a spiritual mentor of mine yesterday. And she was like, Sophie, like you're not broken. Like I feel like she was like, you always are trying to find out like all the things that are wrong about you and like to try to fix them immediately as quickly as possible. And she's like, it just doesn't, work like that Mm. you're on a journey um and and you're on a journey of like learning how to best love people and like who you are and all that and it's like a beautiful thing instead of trying to brute force yourself to become something that you're not or to brute force yourself into something um and i don't know i found a lot of like peace in that in acceptance Yeah, or just realizing, so the last several months, too, I have just, I've just, like, learned a lot about myself, a lot, a lot, a lot, Um, and it's almost been relieving to uncover these traumas because it puts a name to the reason why I have these barriers and, and it allows me to just like choose differently. I'm like, Oh, this is what, this is why I've been acting this way. Like I'm Mm. not actually crazy. And like, I can do something about it. I get to choose differently. Now I Mm. get to choose love over fear. Um, Cause that's like what's crazy. What was what was mind blowing about this workshop was how many people were super unaware of the fears they were living by every day. I think I think we all are. Yeah. Um, There's this great story. I think I've told it on this podcast before, but how two fish didn't, didn't we talk about this? Two fish are swimming in the stream. Yes. And they pass by another fish, and he's older. And the older fish goes, "Hey, what's up, boys? How's the water?" And they're like, "Yeah, good." And they keep swimming past each other. And the one younger fish says to the other young one, "What the hell is water?" <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you recognized water. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, totally. It's such a good, yeah, like the hardest thing for a fish to see is water. That's another, I heard that from a professor once. Yeah. And we all do that. It's so true. I think that's why it's really important to have, it's important to have a friend or somebody that can just objectively see your life from a third party view. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's really a lot of times all it takes. You ever notice that? Like how easy it is too when friends are doing something and you're like, oh my God. Like, Like, are you serious? This is fucking, yeah, this is so clear to me. This is so clear. Do this, you know, like just do that. Or it's not that big a deal or all these things. And you feel like you have their life figured out to a T because you kind of do because it's so simple. Mm-hmm. But then your life is a complete mixture of different emotions and thoughts and you don't know how to put them together at all. Totally. A hundred percent. I feel that all the time. Um, and I think that's what's been really beautiful about this season is, like I mentioned, growing up, I really just, I focus so hard on not being a burden on people. Um, 
like to give you a little picture of my childhood, I was an only child and the only person in my family that was born in America. So there was just like a lot of sacrifice, honestly, to like have me. Um, and I knew that my parents worked exceptionally hard and I always felt super guilty about it because I knew they were doing it for me. And that was like kind of the dialogue, um, for me to have a good life and like all that. And I just like didn't think it was okay to share my burdens with people. Like didn't think it was okay for like me to not be okay. Or like I learned in grad school, I'm really good at being everyone's like go-to person. Um, and I love doing that, but I had to learn that I can't be that for everyone at all times. And that sometimes like I need things too. And it's okay to like ask for help. Like what a concept. Um, but in this season, I've like finally learned that and like let people in my tribe, like really in on these things that, um, that are hard or that I'm processing and just being like super open about it. And it's just been incredible to see and really receive that, love and support and I feel like my capacity to do that for others is like tripled because I'm coming from a really full place I am secure in my tribe really um and it's just been I don't know like a new thing I've experienced like it's yeah and I so that's like one thing I would recommend for any entrepreneur or anyone in life really is like let people into the dark stuff like it's it's okay when is it complaining and shoving your bad feelings and thoughts that you haven't dealt with onto other people and when is it appropriate mm. to solicit feedback and advice what do you think what do you think hmm yeah um is it the mindset coming into it yeah and i yeah, I'm trying to, like, I totally have friends that are just, like, always negative Nancys, and honestly, I create barriers with them, um, just, like, out of health for myself. But when you're going to people... I think it's the mindset for me. Um, very, like, sometimes I'll be, like, really frustrated or whatever, and I just, like, need to talk to someone about it and just, like, let that be. But most times, like, I'm a pretty positive person, um... And I, I'm mostly like my turmoil is always interior. Like it's so much less about what other people do towards me. And that's something I learned during the workshop too, is I'm really bad at playing the victim typically. Um, and it's a great thing, but it also is terrible because in some of the things that I've faced in my life, I just completely blamed it on myself and wasn't able to name things for what they were. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's a mindset. I think it's like going in and it's like, man, I'm really struggling with this. Um, can you give me like insight onto how are the other ways I should be thinking about it? Or And most times, like the most effective thing you can do for a friend is just listen. Like they are not really even needing you to do anything or fix them. Like they just really just want to know yeah, that you're going to be there. It's hard sometimes not to do get into the fixing mode. Totally. You know, okay, this is your problem. Okay, let's think about this. What if you did that, that, and that? Yeah, that's that. I initially go into that every time. Totally. And the most beautiful thing, though, is like letting people come to their own conclusions. Like, 
don't rob others of their own journey. Um, so just asking them really good questions, I think is way more impactful. Um, even if, so even if you're like, okay, you definitely are fine. And you should be thinking about it this way. Like what are questions you can ask to get them to get to that point themselves? Cause I think that's something that'll stick to them way more. That's true. I mean, cause a lot of times you just need to talk it out. Mm-hmm. A lot of times if you talk to people and you just keep going and going and going, all of a sudden you stop talking and like, Oh, I figured it out. Even though they didn't say a word, just because you untangled the knots in your head by speaking it out. Yeah, exactly. Right? And that's what I learned that I really need. I do that to my girlfriend all the time now. I just talk and talk for like two minutes, three minutes straight. And at the end, I just go, oh, I figured it out. She's like, okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, glad I could help. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, When you were saying that, I was thinking about the difference between responsibility and fault like i think a lot of times we like we combine those two where something happens or something isn't going the correct way and you kind of take the fault and the responsibility where i think you can just take the responsibility for it okay my business failed or relationship went the wrong way or i messed this up again and you kind of like take that responsibility and take the fault is that my phone ringing i always forget to put it on do not disturb (laughs) Hold on. All good. Booster, what a name. If there's specific things you want me to talk about, just give me a little hint and I can, but you know. This is fun. Was it Booster? No, it wasn't Booster. It was another <laughs> friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, I've had Booster actually on the podcast before. That's cool. Yeah. Um, all right, we're back. Uh, what? What? Responsibility and fault. Yeah, because you take you take both those on, right? Instead of just going, okay, cool. This happened and it's not my fault, but it is now my responsibility to fix it. Yeah. And I like ownership is something that I've really tried to harp on for myself is like, we cannot control the things that happen to us. Like life just really genuinely just happens, but we can choose how we respond to it. And I think in tragedy and turmoil, how we choose to respond in those hard times is a real show of our character. Like we can choose in those moments to rise above and to really step into who we are, or we can choose to fall into darkness and fall into all the things that like we never wanted to be. And like, those are all choices that we get to make. Like it's really freaking hard. Um, but I always just think about like who I want to be known for and who I want to be. And, um, yeah, taking ownership, I think it's massive into who do you want to be known for i who do you want to be who do i want to be um that's a hard question yeah i just want to know be known to be somebody that loved and lived fully and was somebody that people could come to and was a safe place and went after her dreams and her callings um someone that empowered people to step into theirs as well and made the world a better place. Um, and I think the execution of that looks so different for everyone. And that's totally incredible. And like, we can all pick up our own little corner of the world and, and kind of work on that. Um, but I just want to be a supporter and lover of people and champion of my, yeah, of humans. 
Damn, <laughs> solid finish too. Champion of humans. Is that what? Because with love intently, I mean to like to grow those relationships. Did you do that because that's where you think a lot of a lot of that stems from? You know, from the love instead of the fear, and in terms of empowering relationships so that the world can be a better place. From like an an interpersonal uh, section first. Yeah. So um, to like go backwards a little bit. I, so, so like on my founding story of love intently, um, I really struggled with my relationship with my parents and we just fought a crap ton. I went to college out of state, went to Arizona state. Um, and after college I got to travel for six weeks and was in Greece for a good amount of time. Um, and I got to work with some refugees there and I had this moment of like, holy F these people are well educated, but they've lost everything beyond their control. Um, and when you like genuinely sit down and ask them like what they miss most, it was not their careers. Like it was always the people, the little moments, the little things. And Mm. I had this moment of like, Oh my gosh, like if I actually stay on the West coast, which I was completely set up to do, um, I will. And I had, up until that point, I realized that I had made work my number one idol. Like, my education and my career, my number one idol. I would achieved every goal or dream that I set out to do. And so I was kind of like, okay, what's next? Like, I don't really know where the top of the next ladder is at all. Um, I was like, oh, my gosh, my parents will probably live for another 30 years tops. They don't take care of themselves at all. Um, and I... I'll probably go back to Houston like realistically three times a year max because it's not where? really Houston. That's where they're from. Oh, okay. It's not my favorite city at all. Um, so that's only 90 more times. And at that rate, we'd be fighting for half of those. And I was like, <laughs> so 45 more solid times with your parents. I know. I was like, not that many. I knew I would have regretted that at my deathbed. And my mom had only gone back probably like five times from the time she moved to America when she was 26 until her mom died. And I know that that was like one of her greatest regrets. Um, and so, and I just like knew that I, there were things that I could do to like hack a better relationship. And so I ended up taking a job in Austin and in between, I had about like six weeks to eight weeks at home, um, in transition. And so I just read everything I could and talked to mentors that had gone through a similar journey and figuring out like, okay, I want a stronger relationship with them, but like, how do I do that? But what was so frustrating, it was like one thing to read these frameworks, like the love languages and all this stuff, but a whole other thing to actually apply it to our day-to-day life. Um, and so I got really frustrated, but what was beautiful was over that time, like our relationship totally took a 180. Um, and as I shared my story with friends, like people would just start bawling at dinner with me. And I knew it was something that struck a lot of chords. Um and and I knew there was just something there. And so fast forward, I worked for a year, got an opportunity to go to grad school. And then we got to thrown into a research project where we got to study children of refugees for eight weeks. So mostly Cambodian genocide or Vietnam War and mostly Asian Americans. Um, and we found a similar pattern. Like everyone was struggling with their relationship with their parents, but they really deeply loved them and was kind of turning to like Google or books to try to figure out how to have a strong relationship with them. Um, and so we tested different ideas there. And that was the first time I was like, I'm really not alone here. This is crazy. Um, and for that population in particular, there's a lot of stigma around mental health. Like me asking my mom to go to counseling would have been like asking her to check into a psych ward. Like that's just not an option. Um, and where are they from? 
Hong Kong. Oh, Hong Kong. Okay. Yeah. And I freaking adore them. Like, we have come so far. Um, but yeah. And then we're like, wait a minute. They talk about the things they talk about with their families, like, kind of is pretty similar to their romantic relationships. What if we focus there? And they're like, wait. They actually invest a crap ton of time here and they typically live in the same city. What if we could take a proactive approach when they're like super highly motivated earlier on in their relationship instead of trying to do all these reactive things? Because I think even in healthcare, we know this now is preventative care is a hundred times more effective than aftercare. Like if you know that you have a potential to get diabetes, if you take the measures prior to get healthy, it's far more effective than to treat diabetes after you've already had it. So it's kind of that same mentality. Um, And we started testing the idea with different couples and people just had really great feedback for us. Um, So yeah, I don't even remember the original question now. Don't even worry about it. (laughs) Just keep going down the path, Ron. Don't look back. (laughs) Don't look back. back. We rewrite the rules as we go. That's right. Yeah. The, the kind of that concept of, um, working on the interpersonal relationships as like a microcosm for the rest of your world. A hundred percent. Super powerful. Um, where did you, how did you create like the structure? I mean, like how did you, you know, cause you guys send out text messages and stuff, but how did you like compile all the advice on relationships and everything and then think, and then create this, this, uh, diagnosis or prescription kind of, of like, hey, these are the things that, you know, we recommend to do to foster those relationships. Were you talking to psychiatrists or mm-hmm. counselors? Yeah. Um, so and what are the best ways to foster interpersonal relationships? Yeah. Especially the, romantic ones. This is, you know, like we've de- dove into quite a bit of research studies. Um, one of my advisors actually works for UT and has studied relationships in marriage for like almost a decade now. And we just like really glean from relationship experts, psychologists and researchers, and then also couples that we get to interact with. Um, and so I will talk about one research study that really inspired this whole thing was done by Harvard. And it was a guy that followed a series of like 200 plus men for 80 plus years. Basically. Oh, that's the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, uh, oh, I've read that book. Yeah. So it's talking about how relationships are. The grant study? I don't know. I'm just going to say. I sound smart though, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> it was done by Harvard. I don't know if it's a grant study, but they basically found that relationships the number one predictor for when you're 50, when you're 50 on how healthy you'll be when you're 80 is not like your cholesterol levels or anything you can measure on your body, but actually how satisfied you are in your relationships. And so, and they, there's like so much studies that show that healthy relationships, um, or loneliness is the number one killer over alcoholism and smoking. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Like the, the strength of your social networks. Yeah. Was a much stronger predictor of your longevity and health than, yeah, alcoholism and your diet, exercise, 
everything. Yeah, exactly. And so with that, I was like, holy crap, that's so true. It's the most important part of our lives and the most under-supported. So how do we do something about it? Um, And so some of the research that Lisa, Dr. Lisa Neff, and she'll be on my podcast too, if you want to check her out. Do the shout out. Love Intently podcast. We're launching sometime in July of 2018. So by the time you hear this, hopefully it'll be out. Um, But yeah, so she found that most couples assume that their negative interactions increase over time and that's how they know they're a bad fit. But she was like, in actuality, it's your positive interactions that drop drastically over time. So the first four years. And that's why your negative interactions together seemed more heightened. And it's because couples typically get comfortable. They stop putting in as much time to have more of those positive little moments. Um, And so based on that theory, we also found another study from John Gottman. And he shows that um, he has like a 90% predictor on whether or not you'll get divorced or not within the first like 20 minutes of meeting you. Um, And what I know it's pretty crazy. And he says that for typically couples that experience separation have a more like one to one positive negative interaction ratio. But healthy couples typically do to five to one. So for every put that in English, please. For every, neg- I don't know what the fuck you just said. <laughs> For every negative interaction a couple has, they have to have five positive interactions. Okay. Um, that's their ratio of positive negative interaction okay. ratios Got to it. show health in a relationship. Versus couples that encounter separation or divorce show more one to one ratio. Um, so like every negative interaction, they typically only have one positive interaction together. Okay. Got it. So that really and there's so much more other stuff out there that showcases how these little moments each day actually all add up um and so there's another theory called uh emotional capital and it's this whole idea of say look there's a millionaire and a college student the millionaire has a million dollars in the bank so whenever his car breaks down or whatever happens like he's withdrawing from a full bank it's really not that big of a deal versus a college student if he got a ticket or whatever fifty dollars from his bank account is a big deal um and so it's the same way of you can think of every positive thing that you and your cup your significant other do for one another or every positive interaction you have is like an addition into the bank so that when tragedy hits or you guys have miscommunication which happens to literally everyone um it's not that big of a deal you can recognize okay like we had a bad day but normally we're like this versus couples who over time stop investing in that um they will eventually with overdraw um and and it'll take a really big hit on their relationship and what about if you're not in a romantic relationship because you're not. I'm not. Right? <laughs> yeah. So well, what about for people that are in between or that aren't in a romantic relationship, fostering those platonic, mm-hmm. you know, relationships? Because those are, I think, more important, actually. Mm. Well, okay. Let's do this. I saw your look. Mm. Let's do, I'd say that's probably 50-50. Yeah. I would split it right down the middle. Yeah. So there's actually research on that too, which this part is like crazy. I think it's really interesting. So it was a study that showed how people that typically have a really strong network outside of their romantic partner, um, when them and their partner encounter conflict, 
they said that people that had a strong network, their cortisol levels didn't change that much. So they were able to recover from that much more quickly versus people that didn't have really strong networks outside of the romantic relationship. It would took way bigger toll on them. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, and so I, so I'm right. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much right. Yeah. Without <laughs> even having to read the studies. No, I think it is so important. So how to foster relationships outside of your Platonic. romantic Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it is like letting people into. I, okay. So personally, I think it's built around your ability for vulnerability time. Like you just have to be willing to invest time in one another to you get do, to know. Uh, you gotta, and you have to make it a priority. Right. Prioritization. Um, I think that's what slips a lot. Yeah. I think that slips nowadays a lot. Yeah, and it's like, it doesn't have to be a lot because there's a lot of friends of mine, honestly, that I'm so close to, but I don't see super often. Like, we'll probably touch base like once a month, once every quarter. When you say touch base, you mean on the phone or see in person? It depends on who it is because yeah. they try, like, I my friends are all over the place. Um, So sometimes, like, there's some people I won't see for two years because they live on a certain part of the planet that I don't get to go very often. Um, But... And that's a part of social media that I do love is so we get to say touch. But so it's not about the quantity, but really the quality. Like how willing are you to like really let yourself be seen and to see others in the moments that you get to share? That's yeah, that's a good point. Sometimes when I interact with friends, I catch myself doing one of two things. You do the small talk, catch up, mm-hmm. right? Which is good to a certain extent. You mm-hmm. want to just hear What's going on with your job? Like, do you have a new one? You know, are you still dating that same girl? You got to kind of mm-hmm. catch up in those regards. But then the flip side of that is, like we were talking about earlier, you also don't want to spew your whole heart and all your emotions. And yeah, man, I was struggling last week with this and this and that, and be kind of a negative mm. impact on the person that you're talking to. You want to, it to be at least like somewhat of a positive interaction because it might be the one time you talk to them in six months. Mm. That's where my mind goes. See, I, talk I to don't a friend agree. of mine, and like I, I sometimes don't do a hundred and ten percent because he might. Sometimes I talk to people. We have a uh, scheduled time to catch up. I'm in a bad mood that day. I'm not gonna spew that on them just because that day I'm feeling in a bad mood, right? Mm. So then it's it's not superficial, but it's just not a hundred percent real. Because so that, I'm going to challenge you a little bit here. Yeah, please. Because that's kind of where it's, that's an interesting one. So I used to be the same way. Um, but in my experience, I so cherish when friends can come to me with real stuff, like real shit. And I realize that I didn't really let myself do that with a ton of people. Like I wasn't, being fully myself and I think that created barriers to how deep my friendships would go um and so it's like this idea like I at least for me I don't when people come to me with their real stuff like I love being one of their people that gets to sit there with them in it and like work through it with them um because it's the reality and of life and I don't think that our country allows for that enough like i think that's why depression is on the rise and like suicide rates are off the charts is because we have this idea that people can only see our good side and that's all we're loved or can be loved for but Mm -hmm. what i like to harp on is like even at our on our worst days and our worst moments like we are 
capable and able to be fully loved. Um, and so, yes, like there's wisdom in that of like only share with people that you can trust and like people that you can really allow or like really be that way with. But I also would advocate for that it's okay to let people into those spots. Um, and I think it'll really surprise you with how much people, how well people respond to that. Um, and I know for me, like that's been massive is like slowly as I've let people more into like the real of the highs and the lows, the support and love I've gotten behind that is like blown my mind. And I think about actually like, I really love doing this for other friends and I am one to ask really deep questions really quickly um, and get to the real, like, no, like, how are you really doing? Um, How are you really feeling about this? And it's like, it's okay. Like when you have bad days and I'm there to celebrate with you on the highs. Brene Brown actually says this. She's like, you cannot numb out the negative feelings without numbing out the positive. And I think we do that a lot here in America and like today is we'll, we're just like a numbing society. So we numb out all the bad and which means we're never really feeling great. And we never let ourselves work through the hard things. Um, and so we end up just falling into that pit. Whereas I think emotions and the pain and all the things that we kind of go through, if we can acknowledge them, then we get to use them as fuel to direct us like where we want them to go versus letting them be an unknown backseat driver that is driving your emotions or your actions in ways that you don't even want. So you do, you have to completely 100% feel yeah. Whatever it is you're feeling, which is terrifying a lot of times. Yeah. And there's so many ways to not feel the bad ones. And they're so easy. Yes. To get your hands on. Yeah. That I think humans almost naturally reach for those. Mm-hmm. You reach for the cocktail. You reach for the Snickers bar. Totally. You reach for the hydrocodone. Yeah. You reach for weed. Mm-hmm. You know? You reach for porn, for Netflix. There's so many ways to distract yourself from the feelings that you're feeling. And then they fester and and, I think and it's, pop out and like you get angry at somebody mm-hmm. for nothing. Mm-hmm. And you don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. And it came from two weeks ago. You were sad about something and you went and got a drink instead to mm-hmm. forget about it. And it doesn't go away. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. It comes back. <laughs> They're sneaky little fuckers. Exactly. And so that's why I would say, Alex, like, let people support you. Well, no, no, no. I no, no, yeah. I don't want to come across as that. I was just saying when I do catch up with the people that it's only every six months to two years, those like longer term catch ups, those are the ones that it's like, you know what? I'm not going to throw all the shit on this person. I only talk to every six months. Yeah, I get that. Totally. Yeah. But you're right. Um, I think I definitely I know just speaking for myself could definitely work on um, digging a little deeper on every interaction. Because I think the easy way out is to be like, hey, how are you? Good, hey. good. What's a good question? We should think of a question to ask instead of how are you? Like on the phone, someone told me when you call someone and and it's someone you don't know on the phone and you say um, like, hey, this is Sophie you know, from Love Intently. Like, how are you? To just switch that up to say, hey, this is Sophie from Love Intently. How have you been? And even like that little twist makes people go like, oh, do we know each other? But that just made me think of, well, what other things can I just put a twist on? Do you remember? Hey, how have you like, how have you been? Or, hey, how are you? Those are still kind of boring. And they elicit the good. Yeah. Do you remember uh, at the Horvaths 
dinner that we're at you gave me a lot of crap for asking you how you were doing you're like you're like come on sophie you can ask a better question than that i think i was in one of those moods that night and i was like okay what's your question for me then did i have one no i don't remember it it was probably great it was probably yeah you're like let's work on our questions did we never came up with one though you were you i think you uh said something like what are you working on or yeah 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 different things um well, like, I think uh, <clears throat> one is, what'd you do today? I think it has to be a why or what question. You know, like, why did you come here? Mm-hmm. You know? How, you who do you know shop. here? Who yeah. do you know here? Um, what did you do today? What was your favorite part about today? So many of those types of questions that just feel awkward to say them when you just meet somebody new, like... Hey, okay, cool. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. How are you? Good, good. Mm-hmm. Hey, how have you been? Good, good. You know, hey, what's up? What was your favorite part of this last week? Uh, You know, like most people don't ask that. It's easier to just revert to the simple yeah. questions. I do like asking people yeah, their uh, top three moments of the week and their top and bad moments or top, yeah, top three and worst moments of the week. Um, That's a good one. Cause then, or even just if three is too much, I'll just ask like no, the moment. Just, every time I saw you come around the corner, I'd be like, "Oh no, not Sophie again! I don't want to answer this question." <laughs> really? Like, oh no, I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go. No, I think no, I do do that to some people, but I also am like, you'll be surprised with how many people actually really. I don't know. People want to open up. Yeah, I think most people. It's uncomfortable, and I think a lot of people, including myself, will just reactionary-wise will skirt away from it because it's easier to just do that. Oh, I'm do- doing well, doing good. Like, okay, let me go home now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a lot of people's just reaction. Yeah. Since it's just the easier route. But at, at the end of the day, it's one of those things where it's more uncomfortable to say, oh, here we go, three things um, that went great this week and three bad things, but you'll feel much better after. It's like working out or anything else. Like, okay, got to go do these sprints like we did this morning, you know? Yeah. It's like, okay, it's cool. True. You know, it's easier to stay in bed, but we're going to go do them, and then you always feel great after. Yeah. It's easier when you see that person to be like, hey, how have you been? Good. Saw you went to Italy on your Instagram. How was it? It was great. Good food? Yes catch you later slick i mean like that's way easier than to be like um you know tell me about your favorite place and you know how was the how was the sex with your with your with your girlfriend or your boyfriend you know like what was the best position you guys did? oh my gosh maybe a little too much you better know the person but like just digging a little deeper yeah totally uh, i agree it's like being intentional and asking good questions is a huge part of thing building relationships um yeah, I completely agree. And I think it's what I will say about what I've learned about letting people into more of like the harder parts of my everyday life. And one thing I am trying so hard to cognizantly do as I evolve as a thought leader and am running this business and all that is to make sure people see that it's not all roses and rainbows. Like I have a lot of really hard days. This last year was freaking hard. Um, and I remember somebody saying, like, so if you just seem like you always have it together. And I was like, you have no idea how hard it is. And I think if more people saw that, more people would be willing to start and do whatever they are really passionate about because they see that um, it's not about having it all together or not being afraid, but just choosing to do it anyway and choosing to 
to work it out. Um, and so something I've learned in sharing those things is not only does it allow them to see the real me and allow myself to be loved for both like my great days and hard days, but also um, it allows them the permission to fully be themselves and to like, be real with where they're at. And um, I think a lot of times that's why suicide happens. You know, even with Anthony Burdone and Kate Spade, they are such well-respected leaders that people would think that they have it all together. They have it all. Um, but I think at the end of the day, there's a part of them where it's like, they can't live up to that. Like they probably mm. felt like they couldn't show the things that they were struggling with. And, um, even with being a CEO, like I feel this sometimes is you feel like you have to like have the vision and be the hype man all the time. Um, but that's just like not reality. And I just don't want to see it. the more people that I can empower to, really be who they fully are and love for that and to like know that their life is worth living like that's worth it um that's something that i haven't shared in a long time but that's actually something i really struggled with in high school with suicide and depression um and it's actually one of the legitimately thought about killing yourself yeah like a lot for years um and actually somebody on my street growing up did it was like an asian american female she like hung herself in her garage she was like two steps down for me mm. um and that's like a big part of why i do love intently is because that the lies that i believed was that i was a burden that everyone's life would be better without me in it i like really mm. believed that um and i just like didn't think that like i remember saying to a friend after i graduated college before greece that i never wanted to get married like i didn't think it was for me um but really it was like out of fear like i didn't think someone could like fully love me and i think a lot of us think that like we're like they can only love my good sides you know and it's not true and the funny thing about that mentality is that you end up showing only your good sides and then people can't fully love you Mm -hmm. because they're not loving all of you they're just loving your good sides and then you inevitably break up and you reinforce that thought that you had to begin with totally it's a a vicious cycle yeah but i think you're right in that it comes from like you said earlier sharing maybe that one thing that bothered you that day with your significant other or a friend Mm -hmm. that'd be a good first step don't you think totally um an image that i actually really love that i learned was when people are crying for help like when they do things that are outside of their character, it's typically a cry for help. And they're just asking you to sit in their puddle with them. You know, like they don't need you to like pull them out or whatever. They just need you to like sit there with them in their puddle. In their puddle? In their puddle of like sorrow. <laughs> and what this puddle? Yeah, pretty much. And what I realized was I have huh. spent so much of my life being like, no, don't come in my puddle. Like it's not okay. Like protect yourself. Like I was just at all wits or at all costs i was like please do not come in my puddle it's okay like save yourself every time you say that sentence i just think you think of a pee puddle no no i think you're like don't come in my puddle (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) no um but what i've realized is like i put put my head up and i realized i have like an army of people that have been like hey Hmm. like let us be here for you and i feel like i'm finally letting them be in my puddle. <laughs> <laughs> you, only, you were almost going to say it again. Oh my gosh, you Alex. You were almost going to say it again. Yeah. 
doing that, letting people come inside <laughs> is, okay. uh, is very important. <laughs> um, yeah, and when you... We know where Alex's mind is at. Yeah, well, when you say it like that, yeah. Also, yeah, never mind. We won't go down that rabbit hole right now. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> Your puddle. Puddles, yeah. Letting people into the puddles. Um, yeah, and well, because what I was thinking when you were saying that is when you have a company like you do, and a lot of the new tech companies... Sorry, by the way, if you guys keep hearing traffic, we're right next to a road, but we're making it work. Um, what's really cool about tech companies and technology in general right now and companies like yours and other ones that have full control and it, the information is easily dispersed on these social channels is that, like you were saying, the way that it has been and the way that it's been perceived in terms of, Hey, you always got to be this hype man. And like the paradigms that we have around the CEO mm-hmm. and around a company and what that means is being broken down on the outside mm-hmm. is being chipped away at, you know, and you can feel that happening as people realize, wait a second, like I don't feel this way all the time or people are sharing their stories more mm-hmm. on all these different channels and it makes everyone else go, oh, fuck, it's not just me. And I think we're moving towards a new paradigm of what business looks like and what C- what a CEO looks like and how they're supposed to act mm-hmm. has been ingrained in us. And it's slowly, as the new generation's coming up, being chipped away at where it can be something like, hey, I'm the CEO and today is not a good day for me. Like I'm in a, I'm in a bad mood or I'm sad or whatever it is. And that's okay for a CEO to... CEO to do and they can still run a successful company in this new age totally you know which is really really cool yeah I think something that's been so helpful for me too to just be healthier is giving myself time to freaking process my own emotions like I am normally is such a runner and I don't rest like people my whole life I've been telling me Sophie when's the last time you rest have you considered taking a day off or just a few hours off but the few times that you've come over to (laughs) that I've seen you like at my house or now you're on the phone on the way on the way in and out in your car you're just on the phone (laughs) talking yeah and so but like the last few months even though I'm sure my rest doesn't look like other people's rest, which is fine. Um, I feel like my productivity has like tripled. And what are you doing exactly? Meditating? Are you? Yeah, I'm sitting a lot. Napping. (laughs) I do. Okay, I have learned that I, if I am running, like if I start my mornings at six thirty-seven, which I typically am trying to do now, and I work out and I get my morning in order, and I'm working starting probably at like eight thirty-nine. I'm worthless between the hours of like three to five. Like I, my brain is just dead and I either need a nap or I need to go on a walk or something to reset. And I can typically get in another like two hours of work at night if I absolutely need to. Um, but learning that myself has been huge. It's like now I no longer feel guilty for not being productive those hours. It's like you've been grinding at it for however many hours. Let yourself have a break and then reset and go. Um, so it's been more of that, uh, reading actually sleeping seven hours a night that's become a non-negotiable working out i would say at least five times a week has been huge Mm. um spending time outside 
has been big for me, but I, I probably do like once a week, I'll do a walk around the lake or something. Um, and then this has also been good is just being really intentional and spending time with people that fill me up. Um, or that it's more of like, they're just people I get to be who I am with. And, um, there's no real pressure to, there's just some people that I think I get intimidated with and I feel like a pressure to perform and I'm trying to work against that, but just like having time with homies. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to do it. That's what rest looks like for me. I know other people are probably like, you need to just like lay down and do nothing, but (laughs) no, those are all replenishing restful activities though. Journaling has also been huge. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Journaling is, is crucial. Especially in the mornings. If I find myself, I do a page of a stream of consciousness writing. Mm-hmm. And it's like this talking out loud things, only you're just writing it out loud. You're, you're mm-hmm. the way your brain is going. And or medit- just untangle mm-hmm. that knot. Meditations. Uh, I'm trying really hard to get into it. I try to do like three minutes a day at least, three to five. But it's That uh, one's tough. You know what I have so found hard. a lot of success in because it's hard to get myself to just sit down and do it? is when I drive, I turn off my music. I don't have a podcast, I don't have music. It's fucking dead silent in my car. I put my phone on Do Not Disturb, and I just drive and just kind of breathe. I'm not doing the full meditation because I'm driving, but I'm just, it's quiet, and I'm just breathing, and that's it. You know, and just driving, breathing, and doing those kind of micro things in my daily life works a lot better for me than, okay, I have to set aside five minutes because I never do. Mm. You know what I mean? That's good. But like walking from the market to my car. It's like, okay, cool. Just going to walk and breathe, walk and breathe on all those little micro times. Mm. That helps me a lot to actually be able to do it. Yeah. So a really mind-blowing tip a friend of, from a friend of mine. So for people that are listening to this, if you know about the Enneagram, this guy is a seven, which means he's like, the enthusiast more is more is like his kind of mantra of life. Like he just tries to do everything. Who is this guy? Um, he's a friend from Denver, but like, like this is an example of the type of thing he does. He has a program where he has logged 150 of his contacts into a text thread where every time he throws a party or does something, he just shoots out a text to everyone like that. He's that kind of rallier. And, um, I was like, okay, you spend all this time with people you're working for time job. I'm like, how the hell do you find time to reflect? Cause he's also super healthy. And he was like, I'm just, you don't realize how much time you spend by yourself. I just like, uh, when I'm cooking, I check in with myself. I'm like, how am I doing? Um, when I'm driving, I like that. I just spend all those intentional moments I have by myself instead of just like vegging out and not flexing or whatever. Like I just check in with myself and then I'm good. And so I've been trying to do some of that more and it's been so effective. Mm-hmm. And it com- you know, it stems from just leaving the phone because I think a lot of those moments that you normally would check in, you like speaking of check, but like at the checkout line at the grocery store, right? The reaction is to pull out the phone when you could just sit there and check in with yourself. I think a lot of those moments are being filled with our phone now. And so I think the first step is leaving your phone in the car l- throwing it underneath the seat in your car, putting it on do not disturb and put it in the glove box and then being able to do the little micro check-ins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. It's, I think that's like a mechanism of numbing yourself too in those moments. hundred percent. Or it's so, just distraction. I mean, I don't know if it's, it, I don't know where the line is between numbing and addiction because I think that right there is even when I feel great, I still want to check my Instagram because you're just addicted to it. You know, yeah, I'm not I'm trying like, to numb anything. I'm just you, literally 
addicted to checking it. See, because I think addictions all stems from the desire to numb something. I think initially it does, and I think it can, but I've literally had... I mean, because, well, where's that line, too? I mean... Yeah. Where's that line between like, okay, having a bowl of ice cream because it tastes good. You don't always have to do it because you're feeling bad. It also just genuinely tastes good. It's true. You know, like Instagram, for instance, there's sometimes I check Instagram when I'm feeling sad, right? In that moment, am I numbing it? Maybe, probably, right? As a distraction. Other times I check it when I'm feeling fucking fantastic. I still want to check it. Yeah, that's in, true. In that point, I'm not numbing anything. I'm just addicted to checking it and I like enjoy checking it. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's a really gray area, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think it's like all of this to say is like a practice of being present. That's like meditation really just allows you to be present in the moment. I forget the exact quote, and I'm sure it's said much more eloquently, but they say that people are focused so much on either their past or the future that they're never fully living in the present. So they never actually go where they want to go because they're so focused on things like you can only impact the moment that you are in right now Mm -hmm. and what you do right now each day is what dictates change over time um and so that was really impactful for me yeah and that's one of those things that you hear all the time (laughs) and i almost disregard it when i hear it because i go duh i know that and then i look at my day and i think i wasn't present at all i know it's so hard for that whole fucking day and then i will hear the next day somebody say that again you just got to be present and i go I know that. Duh. <laughs> then I still don't, I just don't do it. You know? Okay, so what's been helpful for you? To be present? Uh-huh. Ooh, like what I was saying. Is first step is the phone. Mm. And and for me, it's not having it in my pocket. It's not having it on my person. Because mm. if I have it, I'm going to think about it. And I'm going to have to resist checking it. Mm-hmm. Or if I just don't have it on me. So that means when I go on a hike or I go on a walk or I go for a run, or I go into the grocery store, I leave it in the car. Mm. All those little moments. In the grocery store, I don't need my phone for 10 minutes in the grocery store. See, I'm like... You just don't. You don't need it. I literally have my grocery list on my phone, though. But write it down. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, there's moments like that. um, Like, here, we're recording this with my phone, right? But if we weren't recording it, I don't need my phone with me for this hour. I could have left it in the car. Yeah. Right? When you go into a coffee shop to do work... There's just so many moments, I think, that we have our phone with us that you don't need it and you think you need it because you want it. You don't need it. And the only way for me is to leave it somewhere. And that's when all of a sudden the present moment starts coming back to me. It never left. I'm just fucking realizing that it's been there the whole time because I don't have the phone bothering me. Mm. And then you get into like, oh, okay, now I breathe. And oh, look at that. No, look at the leaves, you know, rustle in the wind. And like all that tiny shit that's so beautiful that you miss out on. Mm -hmm. It just comes from, first step, leave the phone in another location. Yeah. I think there's a lot of power to that. I am not good about my phone at all. We're all addicted to it. Totally. I mean, it was literally built to be that way. Yeah, there's art. Yeah, you've seen that stuff on Facebook and Instagram. They're just the algorithms that they're making and stuff. Psychologists are hired at all of these tech companies to make sure that you are glued to it. And I think that's something I love about Love Intently is our success is not dictated by how much time you spend on our websites or looking at our stuff. It's really what you choose to do afterwards. Yeah, well, that's why you're going to go out of business. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) 
I'm just kidding. No. Well, but, I mean, there is something to that. You also, like, where's the line between getting profit? You got to keep people's attention. So I actually think we have a lot of strategies to get profit that are, like, rolling out in the near future. Um, that isn't still isn't dictated by how much time people spend on their phones. Okay. Awesome. It's like helping you execute on these little things that would be we know would be really meaningful to your significant other. Um, and and it's like you and every any given day could get a text that says, you know, like, um, do you, did you know that hugs over 30 seconds like create oxytocin and releases stress for your partner? Ask them how their day was and give them a, a big hug. And that requires you to stop looking at your phone for a hot second. True. Yeah. No, and I, I like that. Um, not platform, but I like that agenda to it, I guess is a better word. It's not the best word I'm thinking of, but it's a, <laughs> it's a word that'll work. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this has been fucking fun. It has. Sophie. Yeah. And I'm excited for you to launch your podcast. But where can people go to get the the relationship tips coming through on their text. You guys are going to be launching Love Intently kind of full on soon. So yeah, we'll find all that. So you can follow us at um, on Instagram at love.intently and then Twitter and all that. Like it's pretty much the same, Love Intently. Um, and then loveintently.com is you can subscribe for our newsletter to get updates. And then our podcast will be rolling out within the next month. So stay tuned for that. And my personal account is at Sophie, S-O-P-H-I-E underscore Quok, K-W-O-K. Yeah. That was fun. Thanks for coming yeah, on. Yeah, thanks for we'll having me. We'll do another me. one for sure. I'm into it. If we, You and I could talk forever. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every time we hang out, I'm like, okay, I got to go. I got to go. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sophie. <laughs> thanks, Alex. That's it for this fresh episode. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I have a mayor that is a guy that's running for mayor of Austin up uh, next week. And then I have uh, Lay, who is my transgender friend, and we go more into depth on his entire story. That's going to be in about two weeks. So a lot of cool stuff coming up here to take us into the fall. Uh, thanks so much for listening. And I am out. Out.